Hey everyone, welcome to the Produce Podcast. This is your host, Addy. All credits go to Mo for my intro, Energy. Check him out on all streaming platforms, as well as social media, under the handles, Just Mo. Episode 2, everyone. Thanks for making it. If you're here from last week, I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in again. And I also appreciate all the support that I got from episode one. I honestly didn't even expect to get as many listens as I did. And it's truly humbling. and I'm grateful for every single listen. This episode is going to be a banger and I really hope you guys enjoy it. Also, Facebook group. It's in my bio on Instagram. The Instagram is at F-U-R-D-O-S-E at Ferdose. Join it. It's closed. It's exclusive. You don't have to participate. You can just window shop. I mean, anything that tickles your fancy, come on in, right? But you won't know about anything that we're discussing unless you join. And that's why you should join. It's in the bio. Pause the podcast right now. Go join it. Come back. I'll be waiting for you. I promise. So we're going to talk about an artist that unintentionally made one of the greatest albums of all time. Now, listen, I mean this all in an objective sense. Please don't slide into my DMs and start telling me how Shania Twain's album was 100% better. What we're going to do is we're going to be investigating why I think the way that I do about this album. Now, to start off, before we really get into investigating his work, Let's introduce ourselves to the artist and just kind of know his story because that's equally as interesting as the music he makes. His name is Jay Paul, no correlation to Jake or Logan Paul. He's a 31-year-old English songwriter, record producer, and recording artist from London, England. And he technically only has four actually released songs. There's Jasmine and BTSTU, which he released back in 2013. And he's got Do You Love Her Now and He, which he released in 2019. Now, you may be wondering why he didn't release songs for a long period of time. And you're in for a really good story. Now, the first of his songs was made in 2007, BTSTU, and released on his MySpace. It's crazy to think about that that was approximately, what, like 12 years ago. If anybody even mentions MySpace now, it's just weird. Who's even on MySpace other than Creeps? Is that website even still up? So many questions that need answers, really. After the release of that song, he really started to get some attention because of his unique style. BTSTU was actually critically acclaimed, and Drake, of all people, sampled it on one of his songs on his uh, throwaway album that he released just a couple months ago. And Dreams Money Can Buy, the beginning of that song, that sample, is all Jay Paul. Now he also released another song called Jasmine, and that got tons of attention as well because of how weird it was and how unique it was. But all shit hit the fan in 2013 on a Saturday in April. He got a call late at night. It was from one of his friends that mentioned that his unfinished demos 
were put up for sale on, get this, Bandcamp for seven bucks an album. This consisted of a huge collection of songs, tracks that he made from 2007 to 2013 that were in various stages of completion. Now, although this may seem like a positive thing considering there was tons of hype around this guy, you got to keep in mind how this impacted Jay on a personal level. Large portion of this music was meant to be completed and released on some format. In a recent interview with Jay, he actually talked about how shocked he was, that breach of trust, and how he felt so alone because nobody would really believe him in saying that he didn't release it himself until finally his record label and the police put out formal statements about it. Now, obviously, this hurts for an artist because there wasn't an opportunity for him to finish up his work in the best possible form, in his opinion. And it's important for an artist to have control over the way in which their work is presented and release it, obviously, in a time that they consider complete. Now, what I'm going to talk about in this podcast is going to be something different. I'm going to talk about why that album that got released without his permission turned out to be one of the greatest albums unintentionally. Checking in with Paul right now. He got closure. He's feeling a lot better. And he released the album that was leaked onto all streaming platforms, as well as two new songs. He's also involved in creating the Paul Institute with his brother, AK Paul, where which he basically aims to create a positive environment that artists could be supported and stand together in some of the pressures that may uh, arise in the music industry. This institute is actually made to combat directly corporate America, where which they want you to make a brand and quantify that as much as possible, rather than focusing on your creative endeavors as an artist. Now, Jay's always been a very mysterious guy. Two days before he posted that tweet talking about how his album wasn't released by him, he made that Twitter. So as soon as I read that tweet, I went straight onto Google and looked for that leak. Because I was hungry. I wanted to see the music. I was prepared to have my mind blown away. I played the first song, and I thought something was wrong with my earphones. But the more I listened to it, I realized that that was just the way it was. And that intrigued me, to say the least. What's really interesting about his songs is just how many things are going on. Whether it's guitar riffs, full pauses, glitches, synths, random ass lasers. A lot of things that feel so random, yet fit in so perfectly. And this is all while being balanced by poetic yet ridiculously vague lyrics that almost encourage a discussion. You know those old movies, the sci-fi ones, where this evil scientist would put this metal bowl on somebody's head? That's what I felt like. I felt like I was going deep into somebody's brain maneuvering through his subconscious and switching through frequencies, trying to find the channel that I'm looking for, listening in on different thoughts. 
and internal conversations that you have with yourself whilst going through different experiences. And I found that amazing. Now, it's really interesting because there are so many things going on. I really felt like I had a ball of yarn in my hand. The more I unraveled it, the more complicated I saw it was. And the more appreciation I had for how it was made. Now, that being said, the discovery of different things in the song every single time led to me being addicted in some way to listening to it. I could never get bored of the song because every time I'd listen to it, there would be something new that would just change my perception of it completely. So this being a podcast discussing the objective factors of music, of course I had to take it upon me to look for a paper that described this. And Lucky for me, I found one that explained it perfectly. Now in this paper, they discussed how music is an essentially potent, pleasurable stimulus that affects emotional states. And that makes sense, right? I mean, you listen to the right song when you're sad, you're going to feel better. And the reason behind that is because music listening triggers emotion and reward circuits that are located in a part of the brain called the ventral striatum. Now, this is the exact same region that cocaine triggers when one reaches a euphoric effect. So in some ways, listening to music could have, obviously, to a lower degree, but similar effects to cocaine. Now, the thing about this is that there are two ways where which dopamine is released. There's pleasure, and then there's stimulation. Obviously, pleasure is the subjective form, where which there's a large variability. Obviously, there's some songs that you can enjoy and other songs that you won't. Now, objectively speaking, Music with a lot of stimulation that saturates the brain, you're always going to release dopamine from. Think about it. This is the exact same reason why you get bored of some songs. There's something called synaptic plasticity. This applies to a lot of a lot more complicated things. But it also applies to music. Once you listen to the song for the first time, you're basically past your peak of listening to that song. Unfortunately, the first time is always the best time because you've never heard it before. It triggers every receptor. Now, the more you listen to it, the more the brain gets used to it and it starts triggering less of those dopamine receptors. That's why you get bored of it. Eventually, it stops triggering any. But interestingly enough, if you go long enough without listening to that song, that plasticity resets. Let's listen to an excerpt from a song on Jay's album called Genevieve. And let's see how he achieves that kind of stimulation. thing that Jay Paul really does well in his songs is that because there's so many things going on, it saturates your brain when you listen to it. Therefore, every time you listen to the song, you realize something new about it. Like I mentioned before, the more you unravel the yarn, the more complicated it gets, which makes you enjoy it for a longer period of time. 
if we go by this, Jay might have just broke the system. This might be the way songs will have to be made from now on. This kind of stimulation, this kind of release of dopamine is evoked by expectations, delay, tension, surprise, and anticipation. So basically foreplay. What a song needs to do is have proper foreplay and reach a resolution in order for it to reach the maximum dopamine release. To go into the next topic, here's another excerpt of Straight Out of Mumbai by Jay Paul. Now, something that I also really enjoyed about Jay's music is that he is very proud of his dual identity. He incorporates Western and Bollywood-style rhythms, beats, and grooves into his music. Every time you listen to any kind of good drum beat, you're attracted. It's almost like you can't divert your attention. I actually stumbled upon this other paper that talked about the rhythmic coordination in the brain. Drums kind of act as a greater stimulus than others and trigger electric potentials in the brain that induce attention. So an increased synchronous activity would lead to increased responses in the stimulus, would lead to increased responses to the stimulus. And this would prevent you from diverting your attention away. It's kind of like somebody's holding your head and making you listen to a song. And once again, in Jay's music, because there are so many different drum styles, you're attracted to it. You want to focus. Furthermore, like I mentioned before, it really feels like we are flicking through somebody's thoughts and listening in on internal conversations. The vocals and instruments fade in and out like you're trying to find the right frequency. The wildest but the best part about this is that it feels so intimate to be listening in on it, whether it be changes in tone in correlation to the beats or the different pitches that he uses, falsetto for more innocent thoughts and a lower pitch for more sinister thoughts. There's something special about the production style where which he also uses unique pauses and crossfades that really leads you to feel close to the artist. But riddle me this. The two new songs that he released June 1st, 2019 don't measure one bit to the unreleased album. This leads me to asking a really, really weird question. Could it be in some sick way a good thing that his songs were released in their raw form? It's weird because the fact that they are raw and so unrefined make them so good. Would his album have all the factors that I talked about earlier if it didn't get leaked? And another question, 
are we all a burden to our own creativity as artists? My thought on the matter is yes. The more we think about something, the more we want to conform the way society wants it done. For someone who makes music, the more they start thinking about it, the more they start remembering different artists and what they did. And unconsciously, they start thinking of that quote-unquote recipe for the perfect song, the algorithm, and shy away from the things that make it different. Which actually reminds me of this great artist, her name is Scott. And she was raised in an area where which she didn't have access to a lot of external sources of music and only could listen to the music that was available in her town. And my only explanation for that is that she wasn't impacted by that algorithm, the one that makes us lose our creativity. And that's subject to discussion. Where, you might ask? The Facebook group. If you haven't joined yet, I'm going to give you one more chance to join it right now. No hard feelings. At Ferdos, at F-U-R-D-O-S-E on Instagram. It's in the link in bio. Let's talk. Let's freaking talk, ladies and gents. You've listened to me for 20 minutes. The least you could do is talk to me. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. Smiles and teeth out everything, and you cannot play with my energy. You cannot play, you cannot play with my energy.